Hello, and welcome to episode 185 of the N-Focus podcast. I am your irregular host, Andrew Brown, and I am joined, as always, by our co-host, Tori Wassenaar. Hello, Tori. Hello, Andrew. And a special treat this week, we are joined by a longtime listener of the show, Ken Gagney. Ken, why don't you tell us about yourself a little bit? Hi, Andrew. Hi, Tori. Thank you so much for having me. I have been following y'all on Twitter for a while now, and I just started listening to the podcast last May, and I've really enjoyed your in-depth commentary on Nintendo games and your, as we said on Twitter, lack of dunks. This is, (laughs) you know, a lot of podcasts, they say outrageous things, they offer these hot takes, and they try to antagonize either each other or their listeners, and that gets the clicks, but I it's not what I'm looking for always. I want to know more about the games, and End Focus does that. So I'm I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you for the compliment. I uh, I suppose I should listen to other podcasts because I didn't know that kind of thing was going on. That is that is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some, sometimes it's quite fun and amusing, and I can enjoy the banter between friends. But I find that your podcast offers a nice balance to that. Well, thank you, thank you, Tori. Do you listen to anything other than us? Uh, not really. I'm more yeah. of a visual person, so I just watch YouTube a lot of the time, <laughs> and absolutely, oh, you see those dunks. Yeah, YouTube is a, it's just a haven compared to podcasting. Nobody, no drama on YouTube. No, never. Yeah. Never. <laughs> All right. Well, well, as for me, I have a couple of podcasts of my own. Mm-hmm. I have the Polygamer podcast, where I interview historically excluded and marginalized voices in the games industry about their accomplishments passions and ambitions fantastic and then i also co-host a star trek podcast with my friend sabriel masson that podcast is called transporter lock and we are reviewing all the new episodes that are coming out like discovery and picard are either of you trekkies i am not <laughs> sorry <laughs> i love the 90s shows i just i nothing that the new shows do interest me so i i have not been watching them no <laughs> well there's another new one coming up may 5th called strange new worlds and we think that might be a bit of a return to the sort of star trek we saw in the 90s so there might be something for everybody maybe uh, there's always hope I, i'm of the opinion maybe this will make you mad but maybe we'll get some of those dunks you're looking for uh i'm of the opinion the orville is a better star trek show than the new star trek shows are <laughs> The Orville was surprisingly good. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to the third season on Hulu this summer. I am too, yeah. Hmm. Uh, Speaking of the cesspool that is YouTube, I had some luck with a YouTube channel that I launched 10 years ago. I uh, had a PlayStation 4 unboxing video that got 7 million views. Holy cow. (laughs) And a, a Wii U unboxing that got 5 million and an Xbox One that got 3 million. And then I uploaded literally a thousand other videos, and they all have dozens of views. Yeah, yeah. I, I've tried my luck at YouTube, too, and I've had similar experiences. Like, I have a Ghostbusters Wii playthrough that has hundreds of thousands of views. Not millions, but pretty good. And it still gets comments every couple of days that I I usually snark at on my Twitter feed because they're just, they're just idiotic comments. But uh, everything else... Nothing. I, I, I yeah. don't know. I don't know what the trick is. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I, I still occasionally, like maybe once or twice a year, upload a Let's Play just because mm-hmm. there's something I want to share. But I can no longer allow myself to be motivated by the money because it's just too inconsistent. Yeah, like, I, I was doing Twitch streaming for a while and 
hundreds of hours over years, I made a grand total of $52 from it. (laughs) How has Twitch streaming been going for you, Tori? I know you hit affiliate recently. Yeah, I got a a payout once, which was uh, bizarre. (laughs) Like bizarrely big, bizarrely small? Oh, just enough to pay a bill maybe <laughs> <laughs> but not the dozens of bills you probably accrued in the time it took you to earn that oh yeah i, I didn't need that bill paid it was just a... <laughs> but um it always hits you with the uh, imposter syndrome when you make money off just playing video games mm-hmm. mm. i mean if you're well. doing it full time then it's a lot of work and it's a lot more than just playing video games. There's a lot of production work that goes into it that is mostly invisible, I think, to the average viewer. It's not just Absolutely. playing video games. It's it's like people who think video game writers do nothing but play video games. No, you play a video game maybe is a quarter of the job on the on the high end. No, it's a lot of work outside of just pressing buttons on a controller. Mm-hmm. Uh, games writing just absolutely ruins games for you as well. You, you can't play games without switching off the critic. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> oh, just my time reviewing games was quite miserable. Everyone mm. glorifies it and, oh, you get to play these games early. It's like, sure, but you'll never look at a video game the same way again. <laughs> well, you know, I spent six years as a game reviewer. I had a weekly column in a newspaper. And the best part of that was I would get all these free games. Mm. And like the, the, you know, playing them was sometimes a chore and writing about them was work and it didn't pay a lot, but I earned more in free games than I did in getting paid to write the column. Like I, I remember I would email Capcom and say, Hey, can you send me this game? Sure. Hey, can you send me that game? Sure. And finally it was like, Hey Capcom, can you send me this game? And they were like, look, stop asking. We're just going to send you everything. (laughs) Like, like there was, uh, I forget the name of it. There was, it was a Gladiator game for the uh, GameCube and PS2 and Xbox 360. Gladius, I think. Gladius, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they sent me all three versions in <laughs> one envelope. And I'm like, oh, what wow. am I gonna do with this? I mean, maybe they wanted me to do a side by side comparison of all three, but I was like, no, I'm just gonna play one of them. And it's probably cheaper just to send you all three than to actually work out a system to, you know, assign a specific version to each critic. Yeah, remember which systems each critic has. And yeah. I didn't feel ethical selling games that I was given for free for review purposes. So I just have these crates of 20-year-old shrink-wrapped games. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well. But now, but now I play only the Switch because three years ago, about five months before the pandemic, I became a digital nomad. So I didn't renew my lease, moved everything I own into storage, and I've just been driving around the country for three years. And I don't always have a TV, so my PlayStation, my Xbox, they're all in storage. I just have my Switch with me, which is why your podcast is right up my alley. That's remarkable. And that that sounds like an interesting story you could do an entire podcast about. I'm driving across the country playing video games. (laughs) Do something with that. I have a blog, roadbits.net, where I talk about my travels occasionally. Uh, But sometimes it's just the time that I would like to spend blogging about my travels is instead spent on Airbnb trying to figure out where I'm going next. I was just going to say, as long as you're not driving and playing the video games at the same time. No, no, I... Coward. 
<laughs> I had a. I was just recently in Colorado visiting a friend who had a Tesla, and I would go over to his house to play Nintendo. And when I arrived, he was sitting in his car in his garage playing video games because there are games for the Tesla. Yeah. And you can't you can't play them when you're driving, so he'd just go hang out in his garage in his car and play games. The future is weird. I'm not quite that hardcore. Insert comment about Musk fans here. <laughs> anyway, by the way, uh, by the way, Andrew, even though I've only been listening to your podcast for a year, I have to share my earliest memory of interacting with you mm-hmm. was four and a half years ago on Twitter. <laughs> Where you were having a bad day at work and you were looking forward to the weekend and it was a Friday and it was 4.35 p.m. and uh, No, 3.35 p.m. And I was like, oh, well, he gets off at 5. So I tweeted at you. I was like, hey, just hang in there for another 85 minutes and then you'll be off for the weekend. Well, I didn't take into account that I was on the East Coast and you were on the West Coast and there was a three-hour difference. <laughs> and yet, despite that three-hour difference, I was correct that you were off work in 85 minutes. I remember that exchange, yeah. And you're... Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? We'll just bleep it if it's bad enough. And you tweeted back, how in the blue... <laughs> do you know what time I get off work? <laughs> I do remember this exchange. There was no winky face. I was like, oh, he thinks I'm stalking him. <laughs> Uh, no, no. I, I know what that's actually like. I, I didn't think you were stalking me. <laughs> just <laughs> just a, a coincidence, a uh, chronological coincidence. Phew. Well, anyway, uh, Tori, carts or bikes? Um, I actually, if you're talking about Mario Kart, I'm always, wow, my brain just switched off. Hang on. Mac power up sound. <laughs> just the window shutdown sound. I actually dun, dun, always, dun, dun. <laughs> um, I always use the uh, quad bike. Actually, mm. the ATV. So neither. All right, and Ken, same question. <laughs> Every time I play Mario Kart, I turn off bikes as even being an option. I'm the same. I go karts. I I I completely missed Mario Kart Wii. Um, and when I first tried a bike in Mario Kart 8, I was like, this just feels wrong. I can't power slide. I just forget it. And I, I've never even tried since to learn how to do a, a bike. Although I do use the city bike in 200cc. It's the only way I can actually uh, Yeah. But anyway, uh, we're getting into a discussion now. So uh, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, there's no news this week. So let's just jump right into what we played this week. So first up this week, I played uh, Disco Elysium, the final cut, and I think that came out last October on Switch, but I've been holding out for the physical version, which just came out this past week. This is a very strange game, as I think it's uh, accumulated that reputation over time. It's an RPG, basically, but it's a, it's a lot of talking uh, not so much, you know, random RPG battles and fighting things. There There is some fighting in this game, but it's not like you're imagining in any other RPG how it would work. It, it's just played out through uh, text sequences, and there's a lot of skill checks. That's how the RPG stats work. And you play as a detective who has just woken up from a hangover in a in a hostel, uh, just, just blackout drunk, has completely wiped out all of his memory, uh, not just of the past few days, but of his entire life. And that's how you get your blank slate RPG character. 
Uh, the first task in the game is finding all of your clothes that are strewn around the room and putting them back on because you are bare-ass naked when you start out in this <laughs> in a very unflattering pose to begin with. And then you go outside and you find out that there's been a lynching at this hostel and you as this detective is supposed to be investigating it, but you're kind of a mess of a human being, so you haven't been doing a great job of it thus far, and you just got to kind of pick up from there. You can choose three different archetypes to start out in the game. That determines what your starting stats are. Uh, you can be a thinker, who is said to be not good with people. You can be sensitive, and the the note under this archetype says you may go insane while doing it. Or you can uh, focus on the physical stats, but you will be dumb as a rock. All of these three different archetypes are, are divided up into weird stats in four different categories. Not quite like any RPG you've ever played before, uh, I say with confidence, because uh, I, I, I don't think there's any other RPG quite like this. Uh, there's stats in intellect are like rhetoric, drama, and visual calculus. There's psyche, where there are stats called inland empire, empathy, and esprit de corps. Uh, physique, where you have your pain threshold, electrochemistry, and shivers, and your motorics, which is your reaction speed, something called savoir-faire and interfacing. What exactly a lot of these stats even mean isn't really clear just from reading the menu. You have to see them in action while you're playing the game, because all of these stats make up the, the psyche of the player character, and they will literally talk to you about the situation. <laughs> so if I have stats in visual calculus and I come across the side of a car accident, then the visual calculus voice will kick in and start explaining the situation to the player character, and the player character will talk back to it, and there can be some pretty odd conversations that happen while the player character is basically talking to a, a, a aspect of his brain. It's a very, very, very strange game and uh, has gotten a real reputation as such since it released a couple years ago and i can't say much more past that because I, I barely scratched this this is a very deep and weird and confusing game that requires a lot of focus to keep track of everything and i, I have not had the energy this past week to really give it the attention it deserves uh, just a very preliminary introduction into the game so i can get an idea of what's going on and if it's even a decent port. And I'm very happy to say it actually is a very good port. Uh, it's got controls adapted from a game that was originally made for PC. So you walk around with the left stick and you highlight things to interact with with the right stick. You press A to interact with it. And if you hold down the left shoulder button, everything you can interact with nearby will be highlighted. That's really the controls for the entire game. It works pretty well. What I've had more of a problem with, and I, I even feel like this would probably be a problem in the PC version, is finding things I can walk on. There was apparently a path leading up to a rooftop, uh, but the only way I could get up there was to highlight the thing on the rooftop and click on it, so that way my character would walk himself up there, because the path he took wasn't really visible to me, and I, I'm talking even playing on a big screen TV. So that, that's a very unusual part of the game, just the, the paths that you can walk on 
kind of get lost in the background and all the details. Uh, but as for the Switch port itself, playing in handheld, uh, I've actually been pretty happy with it. Uh, it's got a very large text block that takes up about a third of the right side of the screen, and then the rest of the game world is, is on the left, and it works better than I expected it will. It, it certainly works better than the Planescape and Baldur's Gate ports that came out a few years ago. It's a lot more streamlined. The, there's a lot of text crammed into that box, but the world is visible and the text is readable. So I've been pretty happy with it in handheld too. It seems like a really high quality port. Have either of you played this game? Do you have any experience? I, 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 actually, I, I shouldn't. I know Tori hasn't played it. Tori has been quite vocal in her lack of interest in this. <laughs> Disco Asylum, yeah. Disco Asylum. Uh, Ken, are you familiar with uh, Disco Elysium? I haven't played it myself, and I've seen it ranked as one of the best CRPGs of all time, the computer role-playing games, even if you play it on the console. Mm-hmm. I grew up playing CRPGs, like Ultima and Wizardry, and I have fallen off that wagon. I haven't been a computer gamer for decades, and I'm wondering, as somebody who is exclusively a console gamer, is this kind of game appealing? I mean, like, Would you recommend it to somebody who doesn't play computer games? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would even say less like a computer RPG. This plays more like a, a traditional adventure, also a, uh, a storied computer genre that was very exclusive to computers until very recently, you know, games like Monkey Island and Maniac Mansion. Uh, right. It plays a lot more like those games, I would say, than a, a computer RPG, quote-unquote, like Baldur's Gate. Well, that's interesting, because even the games you mentioned were originally released for computers. Mm-hmm. And maybe that goes back to the point-and-click interface. I find uh, some games don't translate well, and it sounds like this one actually does. And maybe the handheld version, is there. can you actually use the touch interface? Yes, you can. Uh, I prefer not to use my touch screen, so it, it didn't even occur to me to... Uh to test that for the podcast because I just I don't use my touch screen I, I won't do it but uh, a friend of the show McGarnagle uh, he's done it and he says it works good so I'm willing to take his word on that okay we've talked about this a bit on the podcast but the supposedly unportable computer games like Baldur's Gate Diablo 3 even Diablo 2 remastered in the past couple months it was possible. Uh, it just required a little more imagination on what was being done with the controller than people were really willing to apply. Like if you if you stick things on a radio menu and you throw a few more pausing options in there, it's totally possible to do this. And Diablo three, I actually prefer to play on a console now versus playing it on PC. Wow. Yeah. I yeah I've played Diablo on both. It definitely plays a lot better on uh, console, even Switch actually. Switch, uh, without digressing too much, but uh, the Switch, I think, is the definitive version of Diablo 3 because it is portable and handheld and console and uh, everything's applied to uh, a controller. And on top of that, uh, all the DRM is just completely stripped out. You can play it anytime you want. Or even on console, there's a, a certain amount of DRM there that you have to deal with as far as internet connectivity. But the Switch version... You don't even have to deal with that. So I think the Switch version of Diablo 3 will be the longest-lasting version of it for that reason. Yeah. As for, as for Disco Elysium, it was temporarily banned in Australia due to its mature <laughs> content. I was just about to bring that up. Yeah. It's, it's hard to talk about. We try to keep the show pretty kid-friendly, 
so like I already mentioned that the the inciting incident of the entire game is a lynching, which is not a light topic, but like in the process of investigating that lynching, I ran into some kids who were trying to get rid of me, so they called me a pedophile. It's a really adult game, not for kids, like and not not even like when you say South Park is not for kids. No, this game is not for kids. There will be questions asked of you that you do not want to be talking to a child about if they play this game because they're going to need some clarification on some of the things that are topics in this game deeply political deeply psychological deeply sexual not a game for children period the fact that it was banned in australia tells me that it dabbles with drugs Mm because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's usually uh, why it gets banned in australia what I read on Wikipedia is that it was banned for exactly that reason, but then they appealed and allowed the game to go through because they determined that the game does show negative consequences for drug use, and that made it okay. Yeah, the player character, as I said, is an alcoholic, but he also is implied to have a drug problem, and like maybe how much he of a drug problem he has is kind of up to me. But anyway, I found a stash of cocaine in one place, and uh, I was kind of given the opportunity to... Uh, kind of gauge with uh, the partner character that the player character is matched up with uh, how tolerant that partner is going to be towards my player character using drugs but you have to actually direct your character to use them so there's a quite a mm-hmm. bit of role playing in this too you have to have a real idea of what you want to do with the character and actually direct them to behave that way you're not going to be forced into some of the darker behaviors yeah it's usually the interactive nature of the drug use that gets it banned here in Australia, that that's the line, apparently. Everything else, totally fine. Did any aspect of the adult content make you as an adult uncomfortable, Andrew? No, but I'm uh, I'm pretty open-minded about all kinds of stuff. <laughs> like, nothing short of, uh, you know, glorifying certain ideologies will really put me off. Like, I- I'm up for... I'm up for most things if they're handled, not in a a nuanced way, but just handled in a way that suggests the person understands what they're talking about, even if it's played for comedy or not treated with the drama that it probably deserves to be treated with if it was a situation happening in real life. Uh, yeah, really, I'm I'm up for most things. Which uh, I think is probably a uh, <laughs> a good opportunity to lean into the game that Ken has brought for us to play today, Twelve Minutes, uh, which has um, developed no amount of controversy since it came out. Uh, Ken, why don't you talk to us about Twelve Minutes? And uh, yeah, <laughs> well, gee, for a podcast that's supposed to be family friendly, we sure are picking the games this week. Well, I will try to keep this family friendly, at least the description. Uh, so yeah, 12 Minutes is a game I've been excited about for a while. It was first demoed all the way at, back at PAX East 2015, which might be where I saw it. I've been to every PAX East, including the one coming up next month. Uh, it was published by Annapurna Interactive last August 2021 for Xbox and Windows, neither of which I have, so I just figured, well, I'm never going to get to play this game. It must be some sort of a Microsoft exclusive. Uh, But then it was suddenly released four months later, in December 2021, for Switch, PS4, and PS5. 
So I used the website Deku Deals to wait until the game was on sale, which it currently mm-hmm. is through March 28th for 30% off. And also t- Target just had a sale where Switch gift cards were 12.5% off. So kind of got a good deal on the game. Uh, the concept is you come home from work to your apartment and your wife, and you sit down for a nice dinner. And after a few minutes, there's a knock on the door. There's someone claiming to be a cop. He barges into the room, accuses your wife of murdering her father eight years ago, and demands to know where she has hidden her father's pocket watch. Uh, This guy is clearly not a cop. He has no badge, no uniform, he wears black gloves, and he uses zip ties instead of handcuffs. Uh, Unsurprisingly, things get ugly, and when they get too ugly, suddenly time resets, and you as the main character are back having just walked into the apartment for the first time, but with full memories of everything that just happened. So you get to go through this loop, which actually takes about five to six minutes, not twelve, as often as necessary to stop whatever is about to happen. I love Groundhog Day movies, but I hate Groundhog Day games games. Oh no. Majora's, I know. Majora's Mask is the only Zelda game I have ever started and didn't finish. The repetitiveness, the doing all that work only to have it wiped out just really irritated me. Uh, I feel um, so vindicated. Yet, say what? I feel so vindicated. <laughs> <laughs> oh good. We're in each other's good company. Finally. <laughs> I'm just sitting over here under a dark cloud. <laughs> when they announced they were adding Majora's Mask to the N64 emulator on the Switch, I was like, please don't. Anything but that. <laughs> Do you want me to renew? So I had that concern about this game. And my second concern was that this was going to be a game about women in refrigerators, which, if you don't know, is a metaphor for women who exist only to be abused or killed in order to motivate the main character to go on a quest. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is not a thing I'm a fan of. And it actually turned out to not be that. I thought I was going to be subjected to the woman being (laughs) murdered repeatedly. And I would just have to stop it. But what happens is... It's so much worse. (laughs) Well, in a way, it's it's actually a little bit better. Uh, So the cop zip ties both of the characters and says, where's the watch? And he's interrogating the wife and she says I don't know and he says well if you won't tell me maybe me beating up your husband will get you to talk so he comes over and starts roughing up the husband and as soon as he gets knocked unconscious that's what resets the loop Hmm. it's not something happening to the woman as far as I've seen Uh, there are some other mechanics you can use to manipulate time like if you need to reset the day you can just try leaving the apartment through the front door and you're actually not able to. As soon as you step out the door, the loop resets. And if you need to advance the clock, you can go into the bedroom and lie down. And that moves the clock forward as much as you need it to. Which I don't often do because there's a lot to do before the cop shows up at the door. And I don't want to waste any of that time. So I haven't found myself sleeping much. Uh, the game is played from a top-down perspective, so we actually never see the actors' faces. And it's also a point-and-click interface, almost like a CRPG. So, and I generally don't use touch interface either because I always play my Switch docked. But I did try it for this game, and they did not add that to oh. this version. So it plays just like on the PS4 or the Windows or whatever. No touch interface. Uh, the entire game takes place in an extremely confined space. It's just 
a small apartment consisting of a bedroom, a bathroom, and then the main room is your kitchen slash living room slash dining room. So that's it, and a closet. What I understand is that the developer, the one person who made this game, originally wanted the game to take place across an entire city block and 24 hours, but hmm. he realized that was a lot for one developer. Uh, to say the least, yeah. <laughs> so he made it into three rooms and 12 minutes, <laughs> which is a little bit more manageable. So given that it's such a limited space, you'd think that they would have time to really make some good graphics for those limited environments. And while they're certainly serviceable, there's a lot of awkward, stilted movement with the characters, mm. and also a lot more clipping than I would expect. Like every time the cop comes into the apartment, if I'm in the bedroom when he walks in, he comes in, grabs me behind the arms, and walks me out to the main room, and my head goes through the door every time, like literally through the door. And sometimes if the wife is lying down, the cop just walks right through her. Which, oh, no. Yeah, I wouldn't really expect that on this level of game. Uh, those are the only three characters I've encountered. I think that's it. And they are voice acted by James McAvoy from uh, X-Men, played Professor Charles Xavier, Daisy Ridley, who played Rey in the latest Star Wars trilogy, and Willem Dafoe from Platoon. Everything. And, <laughs> and Norman Osborn from And Spider-Man. Jesus Christ. Really? Uh, yeah. I didn't know that. Huh. So many Jesuses. Anyway, so those are the three voice actors, and they do a, a fine job. One of the commenters on Reddit where I posted about this game said that they didn't like it because they couldn't tell that the voice actors were famous people. They didn't recognize their voices. Oh, well, how dare they? Well, my response was they're not playing themselves. People transform themselves for the role. Like, you would never tell that Mark Hamill played the Joker in Batman. Uh, but now I made that response to him before I'd played the game, and now that I've played it, I can almost see their point because I don't feel like I'm playing a game voiced by Daisy Ridley and James McAvoy. They could have gotten no-name actors and probably had a very similar performance. So you can have conversations with your wife during the game. You can sit down to dinner and chat with her and sit down on the couch and interrupt her reading a book and talk to her. And some of those conversations you have with her will open up new conversation branches the next time you loop through those 12 minutes. Hmm. But the voice acting has some disjointed transitions, which you would expect from this sort of branching narrative. For example, at one point you might be aggressively asking your wife, where did you hide the watch? And then you can just go to the next menu item and say, so let's have dessert. And I've met there's... people like that. <laughs> just wild mood swings. They just interrogate you, then offer you pie. Amazing. So there, there's that, which was... Uh, some of the dialogue is actually really amusing, and some of the animation and environments and situations you can find yourself in are really amusing. I don't think they're meant to be, though. Like, at one point, my wife and I are sitting down for dessert, and the knock on the door comes, and she gets up to open it, the door, and the cop immediately barges in and starts harassing her and zip-tying her and throwing her on the ground. And I chose not to react, so my character just continued to sit at the table having dessert. <laughs> like, watching all of this happen in the same room. And, okay, I guess that's an option. Uh, I find myself finding new things on each loop so that 
sometimes I think I'm stuck, but one small discovery might open up a whole new branch of options, which is kind of exciting. Gives me a lot of ideas. However, I haven't finished the game, and the reviews I've read say that your goal isn't to come up with a creative, clever solution. It's to figure out what the developer wants you to do. Like, mm. there's, one, there's one way to solve this game, and that's it. Uh, one person on Reddit, I, I had posted a, in the Nintendo Switch Deals subreddit that the game was on sale, and one person responded, I'm going to quote two sentences. 12 minutes should honestly be a case study in how to craft a game with an interesting concept alone and have absolutely no vision for how to execute it. Hmm. The game the game is genuinely disastrous, and for every little thing it does right, it does several colossal things wrong. So I haven't found that to be the case yet. If it's a four-hour game, which I'm told it is, then I'm halfway through, and I feel motivated to finish the game because I'm, I'm curious to know what the ending is, which I hear yeah. is a bit of a letdown. <laughs> um, that's a word for it. Uh, I, I have other words I would use for it. I assumed that you knew because it was a, a big firestorm when this game came out and people finished it because the ending goes places. <laughs> have you have you finished it or are you basing this on reviews i'm basing it off of a lot of criticism i've read of it that has utterly decimated any desire i would have to give play this game just based on the bad ending yeah pretty much okay like it, wow. it's uh what you find out about this character and the relationship to his wife is truly disgusting and feels like uh, well I, I am quoting other people here now uh feels like it was done just for shock value certainly Great. the way it, it was presented to me it, it certainly looked like an ending that exists only for shock value hmm. so yeah well, I, i'm never gonna play this game <laughs> well i have no idea what that might be but there are some questionable things you can do during the game like you can slip a lot of sleeping pills into a glass of water and give them to your wife and drug her. And there are gameplay reasons to do that. Like, for some reason, I maybe I'm clicking on the wrong things, but my experience is that your wife is the only one who can lock the front door. So you have to drug her to get the house keys from her so you can lock the door, which delays the cop from getting in. A city and apartment that doesn't have a deadbolt? Yeah, right. It does have a deadbolt, and every time I go to use the house keys on the front door... The animation that follows is the husband turning the deadbolt, and okay. So I'm not sure I'm I'm not sure if I'm doing it wrong or something else, but or if the developer doesn't know how door locks work. <laughs> and, and also, I have not tried this myself, but there is a knife, one of the items you can pick up in the kitchen, and I have been told that you can use it on your wife. Mm -hmm. I I I tried it and. Rather than immediately performing the action I'd requested, the husband thought aloud, once I do this, there's no going back. I'll be a murderer forever. And I was like, okay, you gave me the option to rethink my choices, and I'm going to take that. And I did not do it. And I'm hoping that there's no gameplay reason why I should have to, because I'd rather not. Well, if it's a game like Minute, like the only way to get the ending is to explore every possibility and that was 
another major criticism I read about the game, uh, probably from a more feminist angle, was basically the game is about all the different ways you can torture your wife. I've heard that. Yeah. I I, I enjoyed Minute. I don't remember having to torture anybody. But in- <laughs> Minute is a delightful game. Please play it. I have, and listeners should as well. Uh, so yeah, if I do need to torture my wife more than I already have, then I may not be able to finish this game. Like like physically, I will just be blocked because there are options I will not do. Uh, but so far, I think it's an intriguing concept. It's not unplayable. I've I've heard like these two extreme ranges like there was a lot of marketing a lot of hype and i bought into that which is why i was so excited to play it despite it being women refrigerators and groundhog day two things i really don't like in especially in games uh again i love groundhog day movies palm springs etc and yet i don't think it's the terrible game that some of these very eloquent people on reddit and those are two words you don't hear put together very often uh (laughs) are saying about this game so I got it for 15 bucks. It's going to take me four hours, which is about my attention span for a game. And so far, I'm not regretting it, but ask me again in a few hours. <laughs> what it reminds me most of, now that I've heard you give a more uh, neutral description of it, is there's a film, a Spanish film called Time Crimes, which is really good. Uh, it's a time travel movie, obviously, which is about this man who accidentally stumbles into a time machine and keeps going through these loops but every time he loops through he becomes like more of this diabolical mastermind he basically begins the movie as like a sitcom moron uh and you slowly find out through each loop that he's actually responsible for almost everything that's happening in it and by the time you get to the third loop he's he's just this disgusting monster basically holding his wife hostage it's a great film please seek it out if you can find it uh subtitled though so you know prepare yourself for that toria do you have any thoughts about 12 minutes (laughs) not particularly yeah have you heard the uh criticisms of it i heard that there were criticisms of it but um okay the game didn't interest me so i just didn't really look too far into it probably the healthiest way to go about it versus me is like oh a game with controversy let me spend the rest of the day reading about this instead of doing something productive with my life like uh playing mario kart dlc uh mario kart 8 deluxe booster pass wave one launched in the past 24 hours or so uh we've actually never really talked about mario kart 8 on the podcast before because we didn't get it started until september of the year the switch came out i think so we missed a lot of the uh the big opening games and mario kart 8 is like the biggest game on the platform uh ken what is uh your history with mario kart 8 i bought mario kart 8 for the wii u and this is back when my youtube channel was at its height and i was rather frustrated that my unboxing video of the game got more views than my gameplay (laughs) videos Uh, but I've been a Mario Kart fan since the Super Nintendo. My brother and I once spent an entire summer just playing the battle mode at the end of the summer when he went back to college. I think mm. the score was 300 to 200. My goodness. Yeah. Uh, so I bought Mario Kart 8 Deluxe as soon as it came out and was so glad that they fixed the battle mode because it was utterly broken on the original Wii U version. 
It was. And I still play Mario Kart 8 Deluxe quite regularly. So I have the DLC and I'm looking forward to playing it, but I haven't yet. Tori, how about you? I've been a gigantic Mario Kart fan since forever. I actually got the collector's edition of Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, uh, Mario Kart 8 on the Wii U. That came Mm -hmm. with the spiny shell. Oh, wow. Do you still have the spiny shell? Yeah, it's on my shelf behind me, actually. Oh, you, you didn't throw it at somebody to get him out of your way? I may have tossed it lightly at my cat once or twice. <laughs> cruel. <laughs> You're a cruel person. He was in first place. I picked up Deluxe as soon as it came out as well. Just one of my favorite games. I mean, Mario Kart 64 will always be my favorite. But hmm. 8 Deluxe is very, very, very good. Well, I've been playing it since the Super NES 2. Uh, I've never really been that wild about it, beyond the feeling that I should be wild about it. Like, I I played Mario Kart 64, like, a lot, but I wouldn't say I ever really enjoyed myself playing it. I, I would even, today, say it's just a bad game. Then I kept playing through Double Dash, and then I just I quit after that. I quit playing them. Um, finally, I picked them up again with Mario Kart 8, and I don't know if uh, they just finally got it right or... Something has just changed for me, but I still go back and I play the older games and I still don't like them. But Mario Kart 8 is one of the greatest games that Nintendo has ever made. So I was very happy to play it on my Wii U, played it quite a bit, and I got Deluxe also immediately as soon as it came out. Unfortunately, I played it so much on Wii U that I immediately did almost everything there was to do in it and I finished everything in a couple days, so I kind of out of things to do. So I was very happy to hear that this expansion pass is coming, even though it's uh, kind of five years too late. It should have happened a lot sooner than this, but it's here now, and it's got me playing Mario Kart 8 again, so I guess mission accomplished for Nintendo. But there are two options to access this Booster Pass Wave 1. Uh, you can purchase it outright for $25, or you can get it through the Switch Online Subscription Expansion Pass. Ken, how, how have you accessed it? I already had the Nintendo Switch expansion pack. Mm-hmm. I have a family membership that I share with seven people. Oh, so wow. that distributes the cost. And it, I, I prefer to purchase things. I don't like renting them. But given that it's digital content, it's sort of a rental anyway. So is, yeah. I'm, I'm fine with the expansion pack for now. And if I ever don't renew it, if all eight of us make that decision, then I will just <laughs> immediately go buy it for 25 bucks. And Tori, I believe you have the expansion pass too. Yeah, I'm in the same boat with the family pack with friends. I mean, family, Nintendo, if you're listening. (laughs) Well, I bought it because I am a miserable troglodyte hobgoblin of a person and I'm not in a family pass. I just just pay the 20 bucks a year and I'm perfectly happy to pay $20 a year because that is... That is nothing for me. I just bought it for $25 because it seemed like a better deal for me. As for the uh, content itself, there are two new cups. There's the Golden Dash Cup and the Lucky Cat Cup. And the Golden Dash Cup is made up of Paris Promenade, which comes from uh, the mobile version, Toad Circuit from 3DS, Choco Mountain from Nintendo 64, and the Coconut Mall from Wii. Does it, are any of these standout tracks for either of you two? I was very excited for Choco Mountain. Choco Mountain is unrecognizable. I would not have even known that this was an adaptation of the Nintendo 64 track if I was not 
being told it was. Yeah, I was never a fan of mobile, or not at least since 2001. Mm-hmm. I bought the Game Boy Advance when it came out, and between the small screen and the lack of backlit, I just I had the Mario Kart for that console and just could not get into it or hmm. into anything else on that console. I've never owned a 3DS, so there are a lot of tracks here that will be new to me. Well, the 3DS Toad Circuit, do we have strong feelings about that? That seems to be the course that has really been singled out of these eight new tracks as being the weak link. Do you agree with that assessment as I ascribe it to vast groups of nameless invisible people? (laughs) Absolutely. It's not a very um, uh, distinct track. There's nothing special about it. It's really just a circuit track. Yeah, it's it's kind of just a figure eight that has a few jumps in it, and there's giant toad balloons floating above it. And like even in the base game, there was the Mario circuit, which is also just a figure eight, but it heavily uses the anti-gravity feature, so it's still a really interesting track to look at and to drive through. Mm. And it's worth mentioning that none of these tracks have any anti-gravity sections. That is true and we will we will get to that <laughs> in a little <laughs> while uh but uh paris promenade has r- really stood out to me among these which uh, surprised me because it came from the mobile game and i was not expecting the most sophisticated track in this from a design standpoint to be from the mobile game because every lap you actually make through this course is actually a little different and in the third lap even you're actually going almost the opposite way that you do before and you'll be driving directly into the slower racers as they come at you which can be problematic when they are using fire flowers or bullet bills (laughs) oh yeah so the reason that's the case is because um, Mario Kart Tour on mobile, each of these real-life city tracks have multiple layouts, and this is their way of incorporating that into oh, interesting. Mario Kart 8. So these would be completely different circuits on the um, on the mobile game. That is really sucks the air out of it for me. I thought this was so cool. <laughs> but now I know it's just a compilation. <laughs> uh, yeah, well. it's still cool, though. Like, they've incorporated it in an interesting way in Mario Kart 8. It just doesn't feel like it's fully adapted to Mario Kart 8. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, Coconut Mall as well. It feels like it's had some uh, compromises. As I understand from the original game, like, there's much more visual clarity of which way the escalators are are driving as you go up and down them and also in the original game the cars moved when you drove through the parking lot now it's just some shy guys who have unhelpfully parked their cars in the middle of the track and are waving at you like a bunch of jerks they were me's driving the cars mm. in um, mario kart Wii, and now they're just shy guys so it's more um me erasure (laughs) i'm not fussed but anyway (laughs) and then there's the lucky cat cup which has tokyo blur from the mobile version shroom ridge from ds sky garden from the game boy advance which is basically a glorified version of the super nes version so there's a big visual update for sky garden and ninja hideaway also from mobile did any of these four stand out to either of you as a particular highlight not for me. I don't think I have any highlights in the entire uh, DLC. 
Oh no. <laughs> I just, I just, which isn't to say that they're low lights or that I'm not looking forward to them. I just I don't think I recognize hardly any of these. Or if I do, it's been so long. I mean, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is an eight-year-old game. Any Mario Kart I played before that, it, I'm not. I, my memory's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did play Super Circuit, the Game Boy Advance one. That was the first Mario Kart where I actually did everything there was to do in it. I actually quite got into that one. I completely forgot about that until just now. But Sky Garden? No. <laughs> I don't remember this track because, again, this has been completely recreated for Mario Kart 8 or maybe for the mobile version. I don't know. But it's in Mario Kart 8 now, and it's a full 3D track with you know 3D graphics, and it goes up and down. It has hills and slopes, whereas in uh, Super Circuit, it would have just been a flat track like they did the same thing for Cheeseland and ribbon road which were also game boy advance tracks in in the original dlc for the game on wii u but those were much more dramatic reinterpretations of the course and i i feel even sky garden is i really like what they've done with the game boy advance tracks in this mm -hmm. where they've given that fidelity upgrade sky garden not as much there's this weird moving texture on the clouds i don't know yeah. what it's meant to be did either of you really have trouble with the turns on Ninja Hideaway? Yeah, that one feels like it's very much based on um, the gameplay of the mobile game. Mm. There's a really interesting shortcut that you can do on the final couple of turns on the rooftops where you can just jump over everything and just skip straight to the finish line. Yeah, because Ninja Hideaway is kind of like running through these stereotypical ninja hideouts, and there's like crushing ceilings with shurikens driven into them, except you can't actually get crushed under the ceilings, which is both a blessing and a curse. It would be funny if you could, but it also, I think, would become quite annoying after a while if you had to deal with that. And it's a split course where you can drive along the rooftops and through the rafters of the buildings, and also you can drive down below, but there are also several, like, chasms filled with wind that you glide through but the wind is so strong you're actually gliding up it's structurally a really interesting course but the turns are so tight and so narrow and so close together that even on 200 cc especially on 200 cc i was struggling to make those turns like, uh. it might just be something that i have to practice but it really does feel like this game is too fast for this course. And this is, of all the courses, this would be the one that I would want to like the best because there's so much imagination going into it. And yet, it's so difficult to race on. It's just, it's not enjoyable. It's absolutely the highlight of this, of these eight tracks. I think that's the consensus that I've seen at least. Mm. For me, I think I would go for Shroom Ridge. I, I don't know what it is about that. I, I, I'm probably biased because I like the, the traffic courses, you know, like Toad's Turnpike and the courses like that. So this is another traffic course, but I, I really liked it. Yeah, I, I mean, I played a lot of uh, Mario Kart DS. I remember playing it a lot when, um, when I was younger and I was flying between Canberra and Adelaide mm -hmm. a, a fair bit. Um, one trip, my mom got me a... DS with Mario Kart, so I was just playing that in the plane. Oh, so fun memories of that game and the mission mode, which I wish that that would bring back in some form. Well, hopefully there'll be a complete reimagining of what Mario Kart is for Mario Kart Nine, but that is getting 
off topic, <laughs> but <laughs> we, we, we've mentioned the visuals a few times, and we were kind of hoping that the visual discussion was being overblown, but really we have seen the side-by-sides now. There is a significant visual downgrade from the original courses versus what's in these new courses. Is that affecting our enjoyment of playing the game, though, I think is the real point here versus, you know, just Bush looks ugly. It looks like a Mario game. (laughs) That's enough for me. Ken, did we lose you? No, I just haven't played the DLC yet. Oh, okay. (laughs) I thought you were going to play the DLC. Sorry, I had time to choose between the DLC or 12 minutes. Okay. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also, my the company I work for has been entirely remote ever since it was founded 17 years ago. And so since my coworkers and I never see each other, especially Mm -hmm. with this pandemic, we make other ways to hang out. So we actually play Mario Kart together. Like we alternate between that and Luigi's Mansion 3. Nice. Okay. Uh, we usually do it on Sunday nights, and we have a Mario Kart game tomorrow night. And I, I mostly go in for the social enjoyment and just to chat with my friends about stuff that isn't work-related. And it's sort of a bonus that I win almost every time. <laughs> Humble brag. Well, uh, I, I, I can't. Have, sorry, it's true. But so <laughs> I'm kind of curious to know how tomorrow night will go if they have played the DLC, which they have, and I have not. I, I want to know just how good am I at a course I've never played before. <laughs> well, it definitely helps to know uh, when you start those power slides, how early you can get away with that. So you might be, find yourself at a bit of a disadvantage going in. Now, we, we've also talked about the design of the courses, how they're not really incorporating the anti-gravity feature. When I sat down to play this Wave 1 expansion, it was the first time I'd played Mario Kart 8 in over a year, I think. And it didn't immediately occur to me what was missing as far as not having the anti-gravity features. But then I started going back into the online play and playing some versus matches, some some versus races. And when I hit those anti-gravity sections, I was like, oh yeah, this is Mario Kart 8 where you start, you know, bending around the course and there's a really cool visual trick it does where you'll be like arching around a sphere, but the camera stays locked behind you. So you, you can't really tell unless you're actually looking at the background, which you're probably not because you're too busy focused on the race, but it's a really cool game to look at outside of being the driver. And I think that aspect of it is being lost in these expansion passes because they do not use the anti-gravity at all. Do you think that's going to be a, a deal breaker, Tori. I had to be reminded of that, mm-hmm. and I love this game. I don't think that anti gravity really added all that much, personally. It's more of a visual trick than anything, because like really mm. going around an anti gravity turn, you're going to turn the exact same way that you would if it was flat. It's used in some cool ways, but it really is just like you said, a visual trick. It's a uh... It could be a bit mind-bending when it's done, when it's relied upon, like in uh, Mario Circuit, where it's a Mobius strip. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Other than that, it doesn't actually... I, I guess 
bumping into each other in anti-grav mode and you get the speed boost. That's really the only gameplay effect it has. Well, and then there are also tracks like the Nintendo 64 version of Rainbow Road where the entire track is anti-grav and it just adds a whole new layer to that track and just makes it so much better than it was in the Nintendo 64. So that that's lost as well. And I really am at, I really wonder what they could have applied to some of these tracks with a little more imagination if they took the time to incorporate the anti-gravity stuff into their designs. I guess maybe Choco Mountain, that last really round curve, maybe they could have done something, but that would have just turned a corner into a straight, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and that, that big giant curve with the giant chocolate boulders coming down on you, that is the best part of the level. You can power yeah. slide around that entire thing in one arc. It is so satisfying. You can so, get two uh, pink boosts off that. Mm-hmm. I don't begrudge that part of Chaco Mountain at all. Did the music make any impression on you? Because like, the original base game has just this fantastic jazz soundtrack. Did the new music tracks in this make any great impression on you, Tori? Yeah, I mean, Toad Circuit, despite being a boring track, it's got one of the best Mario Kart um, hmm. background music tracks. I reckon, and they, they did a good job at this in um, translating a lot of those instruments from the 3DS sound, which was very, how do you say, lo-fi in comparison. <laughs> Limited in its yeah. ability. I mean, it had a fantastic remix in Smash Brothers Ultimate as well, hmm. but hearing that more jazz-inspired instrument combination in this, absolutely fantastic. And it's always a blast hearing Coconut Mall again. <laughs> it was really the only Paris Promenade that made an impression on me. But music is a mental block for me. I, I don't notice it unless I'm focusing on it. And Mario Kart is really not a game where you can stop and admire the music. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad that you uh, pointed those things out. Because they are they flew right over my head. But... I think the most valuable thing that this game is going to do is actually just further enrich the multiplayer, especially the versus races. Because, like, right now, I've, I've blown through all of these. I've gotten three-star trophies on 150cc, mirror mode, and 200cc. There's the time trial ghost to beat yet. That's really what there is to do from these for the single player. You'll You'll do it in a couple hours if you're committed. But... It will also add these tracks into the pool of tracks you can race in the multiplayer mode. And I really think that's where the longevity of this is going to come from, is to just really increase the number of tracks you can choose from when you're racing online. Do you spend a lot of time playing this game online, Tori? Yeah, well, I played a little bit with um, a friend. Uh, He was streaming, and I just kind of crashed in and... (laughs) you know, harassed him. They're fun. The AI seems more aggressive on these tracks as well. Hmm. You're not just fighting against people who are still learning the track and learning where those shortcuts are and the optimum uh, racing lines are, but the AI is like really out to get you in this. Yeah, I did experience that. Uh, Three times in a row, I got nailed at the end of Coconut Mall on the last stretch, just 
shell after shell after shell after shell when I was about to get the three-star trophy, and uh, I quite lost my patience with it and just walked away for a few hours, <laughs> but it didn't occur to me that the AI had been ramped up. I thought I was just being treated unfairly by the game for that afternoon because I, I sat down to do it again that evening and just, just went right through it, no problem. Uh, Ken, what about you? Uh, do you play just in, in the basic pools of online, or do you only play with your coworkers? Once I have mastered the courses in the one-player mode, I have no reason to go back to them. So online mm. play is exclusively how I play. And I also right. am not a huge fan of playing online with people I haven't met in person. Hmm. So like strangers, matches, whatever, that's, uh, tournaments, not really my jam. So my coworkers and I, we all hop on Zoom so we can see and hear each other while we're <laughs> playing the game. And clearly that's not something I would do with a complete stranger. <laughs> Now, do you play with tilt controls? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Come on. What about the racing wheel? Like That might be a bit much to lug around in your car, but do you have the, the Mario Kart racing wheel? Well, you know, I could probably, as far as the size constraints of my car, I could fit a racing wheel in the space between my ring fit wheel. <laughs> so, But no, I don't have the wheel. I think nice. I had it on the original Wii, and mm-hmm. that was it. You have to uh, get the labo one that you can fold down. <laughs> I think I'm good. I got my pro controller, uh, so I, I think I'm good. <laughs> I don't think you. I don't think you knew what I meant. There's actually a giant like console steering wheel that's electronic, not not the uh, one you shove your Joy-Con in. But anyway, uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't clear. My fault. But I, I love the multiplayer Mario Kart. I'm the same way. Like w- Once I finished the tournament mode and all the time trial goes, there's no reason for me to ever play this game again. I don't want to do those things again. I already did them once. I don't want to delete my save file, and there's a, a zillion other games on Switch that I could play. But every once in a while, I do enjoy sitting down and just going online and just racing against some strangers, which for some reason, like when I'm playing offline in the tournament mode, I will really lose my patience with the AI just abusing me with turtle shells. But playing online against other people, like I, I don't take it as personally when I drop from fifth to eighth place and finish fifth overall. I, I'm not sure what's going on there, but it's just, <laughs> it's just kind of a zen mode for me playing online. And I'm very happy to have even more tracks to play on there, which will eventually, over the next year and a half, double the number of tracks in the game. That's amazing. Although that is eventually going to reach the point where half the tracks in the game aren't going to have the anti-gravity feature. So that's a little disappointing, but it's a a whole new life for Mario Kart 8, and I'm really willing to see it out to see what happens. It's a good celebration of its legacy. Mm -hmm. My wish is that there were some additional filter options for the tracks. Like, they're sorted into the cups, which is good enough, but it would be good to say... I just want to play a playlist of all the N64 tracks in the game or all the the 3DS tracks in the game. Because by the end of it, there's going to be a, a fair amount of them. And you could do mm-hmm. it manually, but it would be nice to just have them listed as such. Because it's going to be over half the tracks in the game are going to be retro game uh, retro tracks. I think you actually can set online tournaments up to work kind of like that. It probably you have to pick each track out individually but once you've done that then it does work like a playlist and you just select that tournament and you just go but uh the tournament mode is unfortunately uh, a feature i have 
significantly neglected. I should really take some time to look at what's going on in there because it's still active. I just looked this afternoon and there were just dozens of recommended tournaments for me to enter into. Yeah, it'd be good just for even single player or local multiplayer. Mm -hmm. Just some sorting options. I think we've uh, said everything that we can say about this. I'm sorry, I thought you were... I thought you had played this. No, I think I had promised that I would, but once I saw that somebody else was going to be talking about it on this episode, I was like, okay, there will be plenty to say without me having to add my two cents. <laughs> well, I, I assumed you had, so I was building up to it, and I was kind of building the entire episode around it, but oh well, that didn't work. <laughs> no, I oh, think well. you played this the, this DLC much more exhaustively than I had or would have. Uh, I'm glad that it exists on one hand, it's been eight years. Mario, I mean, Nintendo could have done a new Mario Kart game in that time, and I don't know why they haven't. Because Mario Kart 8 is still, like, printing money for them. <laughs> well, not only that, but as you said, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is in many ways perfect. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the rare times when I don't need a better Mario Kart. I just need more Mario Kart. Yeah. And so, Which is what they've given yeah. us after a fashion. Right. And so in this case, I'm satisfied with the offering, or at least the existence of it, not having gotten my hands on it yet. But (laughs) I'm sorry if I uh, misled you on my participation. Uh, Final thoughts. Tori, you haven't spent any money on this technically, but do you think it's worth the money yet? Is this worth owning now, or should people wait until more tracks are out? I nearly just impulsively bought it, even though I got it for free. Absolutely. Double the tracks for, I think it's just under half the price of the full game uh, in Australia, at least. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. The the tracks are the most important part of any racing game, in my opinion. Well, no, okay, hang on. Arcade racing games. Yeah, yeah. Not like those boring, stuffy, vroom vroom games. Well, to put it into comparison, I've heard that Gran Turismo 7, is it 7, the latest one? Sure. Where you can buy cars in it for like 40 Australian dollars, which is the same <sighs> price as this DLC. That's a single car. <laughs> um, this is uh, 40, is it 48 tracks? 48 yeah. new tracks, yes. Yeah, for the same price. No brainer. Okay, but but right now, just these eight tracks, if a person was to jump in now, do you think it's worth it now, or should should they wait until more tracks are out? If you're playing this, like, if if you're a Mario Kart fan, absolutely. Like, you, mm-hmm. you can't go wrong. One of your favorite tracks, if it isn't already in the game, it's probably going to come out with this. Um, Statistically, for, it's likely. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're buying this for, you know, the family or for, for your kids... They're not going to be too fussy about the whole graphics thing, really. They're just going to be happy to have more tracks to race on. Again, um, if you're more the more discerning gamer, then absolutely wait until it's worth the money for you. But I think if you're a Mario Kart fan, you're getting this many tracks. You, you're going. You're probably going to be fine. It's already got some good tracks in there. Like Choco Mountain, I love. Coconut Mall, even though it's done dirty, still good track. Ninja Hideaway is probably worth the entry 
right now on its own, personally. Hmm. And Shroom Ridge. Yeah, Shroom Ridge. Thanks for throwing me that pity vote in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Throw your bone. I wasn't especially wild about any of these tracks. Like I said, Paris Promenade, I think, is the highlight just for the way it, it, it transforms each time you go through it. And and Shroom Ridge is just great because it's just it's another traffic level. I would play an entire Mario Kart game of just nothing but driving and traffic. I would be thrilled with that. So I enjoyed it. But if this was it and it was priced comparably to just be this, I would be pretty let down by these, I think. Uh, not real strong contenders, but I, I'm also stacking that up against the last time Mario Kart 8 got DLC because all those new tracks were just incredible additions to the game and nothing i would describe in these eight is an incredible addition it's just a credible addition <laughs> if you recognize the difference between those two words i've noticed that we've been talking around tokyo blur like neither of us have talked about it <laughs> i am sitting here trying to remember tokyo blur and that one is different on all three laps. it is it is uh it changes as well it's a road track without any traffic on it, which is I find disappointing. I, I, I'm just sitting here squeezing my brain, and I, I cannot <laughs> recall a single visual from that level. It is It must have been completely forgettable for me. <laughs> but. Yeah, it, it, it's just a circuit track, but it's set in Tokyo. So the mm. backgrounds look like Japan. Maybe that's exciting for some people. It is, I, I've never been to Japan. It just didn't make much of an impression on me. But anyway, sounds like uh, thumbs up with hope for better in the coming future for both of us. And uh, Ken will have fun playing this with his coworkers and being surprised by all the tight turns he's going to be encountering. <laughs> I can't wait. So, Ken, is there anything in the coming year that you're really looking forward to playing? Oh, gosh, the whole year? Mm -hmm. Well, let's see. I have sort of this meta game I play. I call it Keeping Track of Video Games. And I have a Trello board that I use to do it. So my Trello board is broken down into six categories. There's the games I haven't bought yet, the games I've bought but haven't played, the games I've played but haven't finished, the games I finished the games that are evergreen that I'll always play, and the games that I gave up on. So today I got to move 12 minutes from the unplayed to the started column, which was very <laughs> exciting. Uh, but I have a lot of games in the uh, category of games I haven't bought yet, and also games that aren't coming out yet. Uh, and I would say that at the top of that second list, games that are coming out would be Memoir Blue, which was supposed to come out last month in February. It's now scheduled to come out March 24th, and this is a game based on the developer's experience as a kid, where oh, she, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, like she went to her mom one day and as an adult and said, "Hey, remember that time that you and I like just suddenly went on a train ride by ourselves and it was a great adventure? How come we didn't do that again?" And her mom was like, "We were leaving your father," <laughs> and the daughter was like, "Oh." I had no idea what our family was going through because I was too young to understand and appreciate it. And you shielded me from all that. And so now this is being made into an interactive poem. Uh, it's hmm. a story about a love between the mother and daughter. 
and it's coming from Annapurna Interactive, just like 12 minutes. And it will be on Switch, PC, and Xbox, and PlayStation, and the App Store on March 24th, I hope. So Andrew's got some technical difficulties, so we'll just be continuing the episode without him. But uh, Ken, what are you playing this week? Well, this past week, I got three games. There was the Mario Kart 8 DLC, the uh, 12 Minutes, and Republic Anniversary Edition. And I had to choose between 12 Minutes and Republic. 12 Minutes was 2 gigabytes, Republic was 9. And so it was easier to squeeze 12 Minutes onto my SD card, but I'm hoping to find time to play Republic. It originally was crowdfunded on Kickstarter 10 years ago, next month, where it earned 55, no, 550 $50,000, which at that point in Kickstarter was a huge success. Originally came out for iOS, so it was episodic. And I'm hoping to finally play it on Switch, because I've never played any of the prior versions of Republic. I think I actually remember that game back when I was working in uh, Games Retail. The name was just fun to say. Yeah, right? Uh, Republic. Mm. And what about you, Tori? What are you going to be playing? Well, Kirby and the Forgotten Land is coming out this Friday, so both myself and Andrew will be playing that. Um, but I also picked up Persona 4 Arena Ultimax. I had to close my eyes and remember the full name of that one. Um, I've played a little bit of it already, just not enough to really talk about it. Fighting games aren't my usual thing, and I'm playing this more for the story rather than as a fighting game, so... Hoping I can give some unique insight on that. Uh, I do have a fight stick, though, for it, so you have to be authentic, I guess. There's one more thing I hope to be doing in the coming week, which is, as a digital nomad, I can choose to live wherever I want. And so just about five days ago, I relocated to Laconia, New Hampshire, in the New England section of the United States, because this is home to the world's largest video game arcade. It oh is the Cla American Classic Arcade Museum. It's a 501c3 nonprofit charged with preserving the history of arcades. It's part of a larger facility called Fun Spot. And all the games are still just a quarter. They have over 300 of them. And I haven't gotten there yet this week because of all the other projects I've been working on. But I can go in there with $20 and that will last me all day. So I'm hoping to go there after work a couple nights this week and rank some new high scores. That's so cool. We don't really have the classic arcades here in Australia. We have more of the the modern style where it's all really just ticket machines and claw machines. Mm -hmm. So... I'm always jealous of anywhere that has those classic arcades. Yeah, if you've ever seen the movie King of Kong, and I say movie, not documentary, because it is a movie, a lot of it is set at Fun Spot, and you can play the actual Donkey Kong game that Billy Mitchell and Steve Wiebe played. That's a bit of history. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Focus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Also make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState for PlayStation and Power of X for Xbox. Also be sure to join our Discord server 
to interact with the lively GamePodular community. You can follow us on YouTube, Twitter, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. You can find the links for all of these in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a GamePodular Patreon. The details for both of these are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by Andrew. You can follow him at PlayCritically on Twitter and check out his long-form reviews at PlayCritically.com. You can follow myself on Twitter at Stew2, S-T-W-T-W-O, and my Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash TorySTW. And our special guest, Ken Gagney, you can follow him on Twitter at GameBits. You can also find links to his YouTube and podcasts there, Polygamer and Transporter Lock.